Welcome to the second episode of the second year of the podcast Spoleto Backstage. I'm Adam Parker with the Charleston Post and Courier and your host. We are speaking with some very interesting people today involved with Spoleto Festival and Piccolo Spoleto Festival. We'll be speaking with David Herskowitz, a stage director based in New York. He's bringing his very innovative show, Pay No Attention to the Girl, to Spoleto Festival. And with Amos Gitai, an important Israeli filmmaker and theater director and multi-talented fellow, who's got very interesting things to say about his theater production coming to Spoleto Festival USA. And we'll also have a chat with violinist Yuri Becker, who is an institution, if there ever was one, in Charleston. He is concertmaster of the Charleston Symphony Orchestra and intrinsically involved in Piccolo Spoleto Festival this year, doing all kinds of things. But first up is Scott Watson. Scott uh, is the director of the Office of Cultural Affairs since 2013, and uh, among his many, many responsibilities as a city official, he is overseeing and coordinating Piccolo Spoleto Festival, which is extremely involved, and we'll hear a little bit about that from him. Uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of events that are presented by Piccolo Spoleto all over the downtown Charleston in many, many venues, and beyond downtown Charleston, pop-ups and special events elsewhere. And uh, Scott is sort of leading the charge and rallying the cats. Hi, Scott. Welcome. Hi, Adam. Tell me a little bit about the history of Piccolo Spoleto Festival, how it came about, when, and what its uh, purpose is. Sure. So when the first Spoleto Festival USA came to Charleston in 1977, there was already an awareness that an international arts festival would cast a long shadow in a sleepy community. Right. And so there were plans underway from the beginning to try to find pathways in for local artists and regional artists to share in the celebration of the arts. So by 1979, Mayor Joe Riley formalized plans for Piccolo Spoleto, produced by the city of Charleston. The primary driver was accessibility and participation. As you say, it's very community-oriented and community-focused. You also have certain cornerstone series and programs that are pretty consistent year to year, the the core of the festival, if you will. Describe those briefly for us. So things like the CSO Custom House Sunset Serenade concert on our opening Friday, the Piccolo Spoleto Outdoor Art Exhibition at Marion Square and the Craft Show at Rag Square. These are things that run throughout the festival. And and then there are some other ones that continue, like our organ series, Lorgano. Mm -hmm. Each morning, 10 o'clock, What better way to start a day during an arts festival than to go into a historic church sanctuary and hear the organ paired with an artist from around the country, around the world, who's been deemed most appropriate to play what makes that instrument special. Our festival in churches and synagogues puts visiting choral groups into the same sanctuaries. And so this year, aside from the Cornerstone productions and series, you have what? Let's name some of the big highlights, the unusual things that you that are on tap. Well, the unusual things are always the most fun to play with. I think what we've been trying to do is recognize that a lot of planning goes a long way, and a little bit of rain can do a lot to scuttle that. <laughs> right. So we've increased the number of pop-up events, which might be announced 72 hours out. That's not that we don't know what we're doing. It's that we're watching the weather, and if we are going to be on the West Ashley Greenway, or if we're going to be in a neighborhood park. Yeah, we want to make those, sure... 
a lot of those pop-up events are, 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 are local in various communities. I mean, you're really trying to extend your reach into the different neighborhoods. Correct. And yeah. we want it to be a great night. We don't want it to be that Tuesday was lousy and we wound up doing the event if Thursday was going to be better. So is there a, a favorite thing that, that you have in mind to see for yourself? I mean, is there anything you, you are going to go out of your way to uh, experience this time around? I go out of my way to see a lot of shows up and then see a lot of curtains down. It's the middles <laughs> that I miss because I'm running from one place to the next. I think what we're most excited about is where we're speaking right now, that this year will be our first year having the Cannon Street Arts Center in the repurposed former home of Zion Olivet Presbyterian Church, located at 134 Cannon Street, as an art space. Yes. And we plan to crank it up to 11 here. We will have as many different curtains coming through here, hoping to have, as one show comes down in the sanctuary, in the the space is configured as a theater, that there will be musical performance in the exhibition space, that there will be smaller things during the day. We know that we've got a great project with the Charleston Rhizome Collective called Connected Two, which is exploring social change and gentrification on the peninsula, mostly in the, the neck, but also down through the central, north central business corridor and here along the Martin Luther King corridors of Spring and Cannon Street. Wow. That sounds great and very topical and timely. Well, it's an amazing undertaking because it's really a grassroots artist collective and everything is done in direct engagement with the community. So when we keep asking, well, what should we write in the brochure? Often the, the answer from Jean-Marie Moclay will be something like, we will know what it is when it is done. <laughs> and that doesn't make it easy to market. But when you're participating in the event, you understand that process. Um, the other things we're excited about are just the growing opportunities that we see for collaboration across artistic disciplines. So knowing that at the Custom House for the CSO's concert, we will have the winner of their Pursuit of the Podium fundraising opportunity with the League conducting a short piece. We'll have Yuri Becker conducting most of the program. We'll have Kellen Gray, the assistant music director, conducting as well. We'll have what I'm really excited about, the former maestro of the Charleston Jazz Orchestra and the artist in residence at the Gilliard Center, Charlton Singleton, joining the orchestra as their featured guest soloist. Wonderful, wow. Thanks, Scott Watson. Uh, 500 balls you're juggling in the air, it seems like. Good luck with all of that. I'm sure it'll go very, very well. As Scott mentioned, Yuri Becker is an essential part of Piccolo Spoleto Festival. He is conducting the kickoff concert, Sunset Serenade. He's involved in a couple of the different series and chamber concerts. Uh, and he's, uh, he's, he's quite important, a quite important part of the classical music presentation of Piccolo Spoleto. He's also, I mean, his day job is concert master of the Charleston Symphony Orchestra and chief pops conductor of the Charleston Symphony Orchestra. Welcome, Yuri. Hello, Adam. Hi. So you opened the festival, basically, technically, officially. You, you and, and the Charleston Symphony will perform at the Custom House opening weekend. Yes, it's going to be an exciting weekend. And it is, it is a tradition for Piccolo Spoleto and for the Charleston Symphony to play Sunset Serenade. And we'll be on the steps of the Custom House. During sunset? During, during sunset, okay. yes. And then after sunset. And after sunset. The stars will come out and the custom house will be there as a beautiful backdrop, the it's, water it's, behind. It's a wonderful event. It's free to the public. 
it's a place, there'll be some chairs, but you're also encouraged to bring lawn chairs and perhaps even a, a little picnic and enjoy some of the greatest um, the hits in classical and jazz program. So is there a mosh pit? It's a, it's a great, great, <laughs> great, great uh, mash of different uh, program. I can tell you all about it. Yeah, so do you know what you're going to perform? Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, so for this program, we'll have classical selections, and we'll end with Stravinsky's Firebird. Nice. But we'll have also a jazz portion. We'll play orchestra will be featured in, uh, in a tribute to, um, to Duke Ellington. And our own renowned jazz trumpeter, Charlton Singleton, is going to join the symphony in three or four numbers that will feature him. Beautiful. Nice. Wow. Okay, so a little something for everyone, as they say. And, um, and that kicks off the festival. But then throughout the festival, you're involved in, in at least two other big series, the Spotlight series and the world of Jewish culture. To tell, to, let's talk about Spotlight first. That's been around for a long time. That's really a cornerstone of the festival. How does it work? Yes. Well, this, uh, the Spotlight series features some local and regional talents in chamber music setting. Okay. So uh, many musicians apply, and we go through a process of, of, of applications and choose acts or groups that will be suitable for the series. So you're curating um, the series? I'm curating it, yes, along with uh, a great team and my partner with this, Ellen Morrow, who founded the series. Mm -hmm. So tell me, what, how, what, what can people expect from the Spotlight series? The War of Jewish Culture, which, for which I'll play with some of my colleagues, that will take place at KKBE Sanctuary and the on Hazel Street. On Hazel Street, yeah. So we'll have a piano trio of, of local musicians, one of them is Lydia, Chernikov, she is a trio she calls a Passionato trio that she started out in, in Baltimore. Mm. And now she relocated in Charleston and plays frequently with Charleston Symphony and plays this in, in this fine trio. Uh, we'll have uh, Jonathan Kammer performing in Hello Sax, which is his... Um, Fun take with the saxophone. Exactly, yeah, but yeah. he's exploring a lot of classical. Saxophone is associated so much with jazz. Yeah. And... Many people don't realize that there's so much classical music out there for saxophone. And what Jonathan's trying to do is put that on a map in Charleston, which we, we, uh, we love and we're excited to help him with that. And the world of Jewish culture at the synagogue, how, what kind of stuff will you perform there? So uh, I have two guests joining me. One is Michael Klotz. He's a violist in Amarnay String Quartet based in Miami. He's a wonderful chamber musician, but he specializes in, the, in, in Jewish classical music. Mm -hmm. So uh, he's a good friend of mine, and I'm so glad he'll be joining us. And pianist from Boston, her name is Asya Koripanova. So the three of us have a program. First, we'll start with Michael Klotz playing a version of Kol Nidre that he rearranged himself, that he plays every year uh, for, for the high holidays for Erev Yom Kippur. Then we'll play a piece that was discovered in 1950s by Felix Mendelssohn. It's a piano, it's a piano trio scored for violin, viola, and piano. Unusual, usually there's a cello instead of viola. And it's a piece that, was, uh, that he wrote when he was a kid. Yeah. And well, it was he did start young. <laughs> he sure Like did. a two or something. Yeah, he is a prodigy. And this piece was found by musicologists. And it's, it's a beautiful uh, three-movement work. It's about 15 minutes long. Then Michael Klotz will play uh, Bloch's Sweet Hebraic for viola and piano. I will play Paul Schoenfeld's Four Souvenirs, which has tango and blues. It's really, really neat piece. Asia will be featured on one piano piece. And we'll close by a piece that I'm commissioning by a former student of mine. 
Oh, really? Um, one of my former students who comes from Charleston, he's now in California. He's a very accomplished composer. His name is Nicholas Bentz. And I'm, I asked him to, I gave him specific instructions to write a piece in klezmer style on Hebraic themes with slow introduction and a really fast Freilich, fast dance. And How fun. So, so that program sounds very diverse in a way, musically diverse. Yes, and it features different uh, individuals. Beautiful. Thank you, Yuri Becker. Uh, Yuri is very, very busy during Piccolo Spoleto, as you can tell. Uh, first up is his uh, 8 o'clock Friday, May 24th concert at the U.S. Custom House, Sunset Serenade, which kicks off the festival. He's performing at Mepkin Abbey, a Memorial Day concert at 4 o'clock Monday, May 27th. He is performing with the Charleston Symphony Orchestra in the program Strings Rejoice at Second Presbyterian Church at 6 o'clock Thursday, May 30th. He's also part of the World of Jewish Culture series, performing at uh, KKBE, the Reformed Synagogue, at 6 o'clock Sunday, June 2nd, a chamber concert there. And finally, he's performing with the Charleston Piano Trio at uh, 6 o'clock Thursday, June 6th, again at Second Presbyterian Church. Wow. Told you he was integral. Moving from Yuri, so some of our listeners might remember Spoleto Festival's production of Porgy and Bess a couple of years ago. That was directed by our next guest, David Herskowitz. David is uh, an established director in New York City. He founded Target Margin Theater, which is based in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, in this uh, unorthodox space. And he's pretty known for making unorthodox productions. He's a Spoleto veteran, and he's coming back with Pay No Attention to the Girl with this sort of Middle Eastern theme that we'll find throughout the festival and a couple of other productions as well. We spoke with David, who was in New York City at the time. And uh, hi, David. Hey, how you doing? Great to speak Good. with you. Good to speak. So tell me a little bit about Target Margin Theater. How how did this company come about? What was what was your thinking at the time? You're the founding artistic director, correct? I, I am, yeah. And really what happened is it's a very personal story. In my late 20s, I was making small plays in small venues, and I got more and more interested in specific artistic ideas, taking old stories and making them new, and, and especially about the combination of making material that's really challenging and mysterious, but also, at the same time, really fun and entertaining. And I thought the best way for me to keep doing this is to just start a company and get a bunch of people together to support it and and keep growing that work. And, you know, hallelujah, here I am talking to you on the radio and it's worked out. We're, you know, we're making plays and and making new work and bringing it to Charleston. So, so in a in a nutshell, that's the um, that's the story. So you're taking these old stories and you're making them. I mean, you've done Shakespeare, yep. you've done Yiddish theater. I think. <laughs> it's true. Shakespeare, Yiddish theater, Eugene O'Neill, right. Gertrude Stein. Cla- you know, all kinds of classics that you know from the library stuff. Tennessee Williams. Um, we love old American stuff. Actually, we had a great experience. Some of your listeners may appreciate this. Our first big trip out of New York came in 1999 when we brought a play called Mamba's Daughters to the Dock Street Theater at the Spoleto Festival that year. Mm. Um, Talk about an old theater. 
that place is gorgeous. Yeah. And that Mamba's Daughters is a play that opened on Broadway in the 30s starring Ethel Waters. It was written by the <laughs> Haywards, Dorothy and DuBose Hayward. And we had done a kind of really changed and updated kind of presentation of it uh, back in 98, 99. And we brought it to Charleston, and that was the beginning of this this conversation that brings us here. So that's your modus operandi, I guess, exactly. to create these contemporary, deconstructed, maybe, uh, views of, of these older works. Yeah. And... Let's, you know, I, you tell me what you think. I never use that word deconstructed because right, I feel I take like, it back. you know what I mean? It scares people away. They think, right. oh, that's oh, intellectual. Philosophy. Yeah. Uh, no. And in a way, I don't think of it as deconstructing. I think of it as just taking really, really being true to the material in a way that's meaningful today. So it's not about tearing it apart. It's about looking at it in a different way, okay. tilting it a little bit and saying, let's let's look at this again. That's my hope. Well, okay, so let's talk about pay no attention to the girl then. Sure. I mean, you don't have to give everything away, but I am very curious about your approach to this. You've got a cast of five, I think. Yep, true. And, I mean... You, we know the source material, but this was a collaborative venture. You did a lot of research. How did this come together? Well, that's, that is important to the project because we actually worked on telling and retelling these stories for a couple of years before we created the production, really, on and off, not, not every day for two years, but in a series of workshops spread out over a couple of years. And we would bring groups of people together, not just the actors, designers, technicians, production people in our company, and we would tell and retell the stories in different ways. We would put them in our own words. We would look at different versions. And this, we did this because one of the key things that you discover when you, when you start to read The Thousand and One Nights is, guess what? There is no definitive source for The Thousand and One Nights. Right. You can't open the book. There are many books. There are different translations. They have different sources. There are different Arabic manuscripts. There's an oral tradition that scholars write that's not even Arabic. It's Sanskrit. It's Persian. It's all these other languages and cultures, Turkish. So you can't say this is this is the story. You have to look at all these versions. And that tradition of storytelling is really what you're engaging with. And so what we tried to do was say, look, how can we retell these just as human beings have for so many hundreds of years? We're going to retell them in our own way today in the United States. Mm. So we did that over and over and over again. We generated hundreds of pages of notes and material, recollections, mistakes, <laughs> different versions, differences. People would tell the story in different ways and they would make changes. And then out of that, of course, you cull the stuff that really seems interesting. And we focused down on a handful of stories, a set of linked stories that we wanted to tell with this play and kind of boiled it down to a, a sort of reflection on those stories. And and just as the, the texts themselves are coming from various places and various times and so on, you too are playing with different points of view in this. Yes, very true. The um, your, your audience is going to enter a room where there are five actors, but there are also there are support people, there are stage crew, people who are running the show and making it happen, and we are all storytellers. So the point of view can shift very fluidly. I can be Scheherazade, you can be Scheherazade, we can flip it around and look at it from the point of view of the king that she's telling the story to. We can turn it around and remember Scheherazade had a sister who's also listening to the story, and we all can 
share the pleasure of telling that story in different ways. So it's not a play in the conventional sense where one person is cast in each role and we're going to just act out what they did. We're all going to tell the story. And that could mean acting it out. It could mean a musical interlude where we sing about it. It could mean movement. And it could just be sitting down and talking a little bit about what happens. And we all share that. So it becomes very fluid. It becomes a real a real sort of open and inclusive experience. And this collaborative approach to creating the work is extended to the actual presentation exactly. of the work. Then. Yeah. Exactly. They're one thing. That's exactly right. And I, I'm, sh- I'm assuming it's not overtly political, but it clearly fits in nicely to the times in which we live. Man, oh man. It is, you know, I picked these stories because I thought they were very compelling, but essentially I picked them before the issues that they deal with became really in the front of many people's minds these days uh, in our culture. But it is uh, what you have is a set of stories that are a he said, she said story. Mm-hmm. There is a, a prince and a courtesan. Something happens between them. They have different stories about it. And the king has to decide. And he's threatening to punish his son, the prince, quite severely. But they tell stories. The prince tells stories essentially saying, don't believe what this woman is saying, you can't trust women. And the courtesan is telling stories saying, don't believe what these men are telling you. You can't trust men. Wow. Um, and literally, the one of the advisors to the king at one point says, pay no attention to the girl. <laughs> Just don't listen to her. And there's our title. And I really, I, as you say, it is not overtly political. We're not, there's no, you know, nobody's waving an American flag. Nobody's wearing a suit or the, it's none of that. We're just telling the stories in, in a playful way. But the stories are so relevant and so timeless. They're going to resonate strongly in this Me Too movement you know, of yeah, ours and that, now. Yeah, that's really enough. We're not trying to point at that or lay it on thick. That's just part of, that's part of what's there, and everybody, I think, is going to hear it. Wow. So what are you working on now? I mean, obviously, you're bringing this play here, and I'm, I'm assuming you're very concentrated concentrated on that. But I'm assuming you've got some other things in the works, yes. too, with target margin. Always, always. And there, you know, you have a sort of basket of different projects that are at different stages of growth. But I'll tell you, the big one that's happening right now is more work on the Thousand and One Night stories. And I'll, I will confess to you that I've continued developing other stories that are not pay no attention to the girl uh-huh. from that tradition. Yeah. So volume two and maybe and, volume three. Exactly. Interesting. Are and you going to approach it a little differently? Or? Yeah. Well, so much of the material is so different. And so I'm, I'm excited because I get to look at different stories from different angles. But the idea also is to build up to something not this year, but in a couple of years that will be a more extended and durational performance. So we'll really do something that is hours long. Right. That it would really be an experiential thing that people, got it. people go for. Wow. Yeah. And of course, that, what that is, is exactly what Scheherazade did with the king. Immersive. She kept him up yeah. all night telling yeah. us stories 
in order to save her life. And so the idea that we could really extend that and keep an audience going with different tales on and on and on for six hours or eight hours or something, you know, give them some coffee along the way, give them a meal <laughs> You'll along have the way, to. make it comfortable. <laughs> That's the kind of big experience that would be really cool to create. That's great. I love that. Well, David Herskowitz, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. This is all very, very exciting stuff. And uh, I'm sure your Spoleto audiences will appreciate pay no attention to the girl. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure. Thank you very much, David. Pay No Attention to the Girl runs at the Wolf Street Playhouse in Charleston, 7 o'clock, Wednesday, May 29th, 7 o'clock, Thursday, May 30th, 5 o'clock and 9 o'clock on Friday, May 31st, and 2 o'clock and 8 o'clock on Saturday, June 1st. So in keeping with this Middle Eastern theme, we have a very special guest on Spoleto Backstage with us now, Amos Gitai. Uh, Amos is an important filmmaker in Israel, an architect, a theater director, an artist, uh, quite a polymath. Um, he's had exhibitions around the world. He's done all kinds of interesting, thoughtful, experimental films, including this show that he's bringing to Spoleto Festival, a Letter to a Friend in Gaza, which is based on uh, work by Camus, Albert Camus, and based on a film, a previous film, that uh, Amos had created. Welcome, Amos. Pleasure. Well, let's talk a little bit about Letter to a Friend in Gaza, which also was a short film that mm -hmm. you made, and now you're transforming this into a stage production for Spoleto Festival. It draws inspiration from Camus, his uh, letter to a German friend, and I, I was watching a little bit of the film version and noticed how theatrical it is. I mean, here are your characters essentially reading poetry, reciting poetry to one another. And then you have these shots of, of the conflict, of, of, the, of the big fence and of, uh, of interactions between Israeli def defense forces and Palestinians and so on cut throughout. It struck me as very theatrical in and of itself, even if it's very poetic as well. Tell me a little bit about the conception of the film and how you're reinterpreting it for the stage. This uh, letter to a friend in Gaza was a, a civil gesture. You know, the, there is this ongoing conflict along the border with Gaza and uh, some of these uh, events which, which occur every Friday end up with a bloodshed. So I uh, collected my Palestinian friends and uh, I myself uh, read the letter of uh, Albert Camus. So I think some of the films start by very long preparation. You know, you write a script, many drafts, you look for financing and so on. And some are kind of immediate gestures. I think if you look at my filmography, uh, some films are premeditated, uh, well prepared and so on, and some they occur because it needs a cinematic reaction. And, and in many cases, I, when, I, when I speak about it, you know, we all know the, the great painting by Picasso, the Guernica. So now when you go to a museum, you look at the Guernica and you say, okay, the composition of color is beautiful and the shades and the kind of the juxtaposition of uh, figures of, uh, but actually the uh, Guernica is also a civil, civic gesture of a painter 
which was very shocked by the bombardment of Absolutely. the Luftwaffe, of the German Air Force, on this uh, Basque village. Mm -hmm. And his medium is painting. So he takes his uh, brush and he makes a painting. And the painting is a civil, civic gesture. And now what happens no, uh, normally with the arts, with music, you know, we can even go as far as Beethoven and so on. Now, now the scaffolding, which is the context, the political context is down. And people will go to see the painting and they will appreciate the, the quality of the painting. But, but actually, I am interested both in the film Letter to a Friend in Gaza, in what initiated the cinematic gesture or the theatrical gesture. And it is uh, in, embedded in the social condition or political condition. Um, I think that that's a big chunk of what the arts uh, can do. And uh, again, not without over-indoctrination, but they should raise the consciousness, speak to people. Otherwise, uh, the despots which are running the planet will keep uh, running it, and there will be no artistic opposition to what's happening around us. Amos, what do you want your Spoleto audiences to take away from Letter to a Friend in Gaza? What is the message that they can receive from you, an Israeli uh, filmmaker and theater director, telling an Israeli story uh, here in Charleston? I mean, it's always a multiple uh, meaning. I mean, the very fact that you have Israeli and Palestinian performers on the same stage, talking or working on the same performance, is really a gesture of dialogue. In addition to it, we are hoping to have an Israeli violinist who is from a Russian origin, a Syrian oud player, and an Iranian santur player. So three musicians, violin by an Israeli, talented Alexei Kochakov, a oud player from Syria, and a santur. Let's hope they will all get the visas in time. Let's hope. And so you'll have seven people. Anyway, seven is a good figure, you know. So you'll have seven figure, uh, two Palestinians, two Israelis, performers, uh, one Israeli violinist, one Syrian, one Iranian. So the stage itself become a space of uh, dialogue. And this is uh, breaking news on a world scale. <laughs> so Amos, this is uh, an adaptation. And I know you've worked from books before. You've adapted novels and such. Is this the first time you're transforming something made for film as a film and making it for the stage? Adam, as you mentioned, I'm just an architect, so I can feel free to do whatever I want. You can build anything you want. I can build what I want. I can do theater. I can do cinema. I can do music. I'm not obliged to any existing form. I feel completely free to transpose one medium into another, and it's great fun. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. All right, so those of you who might go see Letter to a Friend in Gaza, gird your loins, right? Uh, it will be showing at 8 o'clock Thursday, May 30th, 7.30 Friday, May 31st, 7.30 Saturday, June 1st, and 2 o'clock and 7 o'clock Sunday, June 2nd, all at the Emmett Robinson Theater on the campus of the College of Charleston. Lots to do, lots to choose from, lots to consider. Here's one idea. The early music series kicks off at 3 o'clock Saturday, May 25th at St. Philip's Church with Chatham Baroque playing a program of music by George Frederick Handel. Uh, here's another thought. Art forms and theater concepts will present 
The Bluest Eye, a play based on Toni Morrison's important novel, at 8 o'clock Friday, May 31st at the brand-new Cannon Street Art Center. These are both uh, Piccolo Spoleto events. Another Piccolo event, this one at the Music Hall, uh, is Django Agogo, which features music of Django Reinhardt, played by the amazing French gypsy guitar master Stéphane Rembel. And that is scheduled for 7.30 June 6th, a Thursday night, again, at the Music Hall. Uh, a Spoleto-related, Spoleto Festival-related event uh, in partnership with the Gibbs Museum in Charleston is a show of art from the Studio Museum in Harlem that uh, promises to be very interesting indeed. Black Refractions, highlights from the Studio Museum in Harlem. And this runs from the beginning of the festival, May 24th, all the way through August 18th at the Gibbs Museum. This is in partnership with Spoleto Festival USA. Spoleto Backstage is a production of South Carolina Public Radio. The producer is A.T. Shire. Project director is Sherry Hutchinson. Production assistant is Alyssa Gustafson. Special thanks to Jesse Bagley and Jenny Willette of Spoleto Festival USA. The production is made possible by the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. If you want to hear us every time this podcast comes out, all six, subscribe at NPR One, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, postandcourier.com, SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. And rate and review. We want it. We need it. For Spoleto Backstage, I'm Adam Parker of The Post and Courier, and this is the Year of the Pig.